listeners, and welcome back to Milky Way Radio. Go on and take a seat, pour yourself a nice old cup of synthesized coffee, and relax. We've got a big white galaxy to discover together today, folks, and I am glad to have you coming along with me for the journey. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump right into the news for today. If you tuned into a previous broadcast, you may remember that we had a close run-in with the Zaydrak infestation. I am pleased to announce that your favorite radio show host has emerged from the belly of the beast unscathed. It would seem that I shall not be devoured by flesh-eating parasites, for the time being at least. Unfortunately, not everyone was as lucky as myself. The Sundara 3 pandemic, to say the least, was poorly timed. It appears that there was some sort of planetary celebration going on at the time. Mass crowds were walking through the streets, and, well, that was the perfect breeding ground for the virulent parasite. 73% of Sundara 3's 4.7 million population were infected over the course of several days. The Galactic Department of Health and Disease Control was on the scene almost immediately and were successful in evacuating a majority of the non-infected inhabitants of Sundara 3, as well as quarantining the parasite to the lone planet. There have been zero reports of the parasite having spread anywhere else in nearby planets or systems. Tragically, once the evacuation efforts had come to an end, the planet was deemed irreparable. Any remaining citizens left on the planet would likely be too far gone for medical treatment. The GDHDC promptly cleared the planet for atomic heat cleansing, and so the planet was orbitally bombarded with nuclear warheads, destroying any possible remnants of the parasite and destroying the planet in the process. This response may appear a bit extreme, but do keep in mind, listeners, that Zadrak infestations are not a matter to be dealt with lightly. The last major bout of Zadrak infestation that hit the Milky Way wiped out 15.3 billion life forms before it finally hit its peak and began to die down. The cleanup from that infestation required the cleansing of 32 planets and 7 moons, so I think it's best to be safe rather than sorry. As for the survivors of the short-lived pandemic, they are currently residing in the GDHDC Galactic-class cruiser ship and are being monitored by medical professionals and will remain quarantined for the coming weeks. The big question is where do they go from here? The recently disposed Sundaran government and now its diminished population have no world to call their own. Sundara 3 has two available moons, however the infrastructure available there is quite limited and not nearly capable of sustaining the remaining population. Not to mention, it would require intensive terraforming to turn it into a sustainable environment. In a gesture of support, many civilizations and organizations across the galaxy are donating funds to help the displaced natives of Sundara 3 in these troubling times. The Eindar have extended an offer to the natives of Sundara 3 to take them in during this transition period, so there is a bit of hope for them, and with luck they'll be able to recover from this tragic event. Moving on, for listeners that were here with us during our last broadcast, you may also remember that we covered a story about a potential civil war breaking out on the planet of Sotun between the administration of Magister Salit Ventos and the rebel organization led by democratically elected Amusa Din. For a bit of context for those who were not with us during our last broadcast or are simply unfamiliar with the situation, the Minari people that inhabit Sotun have been struggling for quite some time as their primary palladium-based economy crashed during the palladium shortages leading to widespread famine and civil unrest. After many brutal years under the Ventos administration, a rebellion movement picked up some traction and elected a rebel leader, Amusa Din, as their new magister and have even managed to gain some intergalactic support from various governments in nearby systems. There have been some peace talks between both sides, but didn't seem to really go anywhere, and both sides continue to arm up for the inevitable conflict. Now that we're caught up, let's go ahead and get to the new developments. 
So with the aid of various nearby governments, the rebels got a good start on the war effort when the first shots were fired, they gained ground quickly, and swiftly tripled the size of their controlled territory. In sight of the rapidly expanding rebel movement, Magister Salif Ventos agreed to parley with the Musadin on neutral ground provided by Confederate negotiators in a heavily guarded ship in orbit around Sotun. It seems that Magister Salit had no intention of parleying, however, as his ship, which was piloted only by a single android, accelerated to 0.75 the speed of light and strammed straight into the negotiation platform, killing Amusadin and various Confederate negotiators. This deceptive and dishonorable act outraged many across the galaxy, and the Confederate Senate took this as an act of war. The 21st Fleet was dispatched immediately to Sotun to aid the rebel cause and bring an end to the reign of Magister Bentos. The newly elected Ruga Volov is now the officially recognized leader of Sotun and was sworn into office immediately preceding the public execution of the former Magister. Hopefully this marks a turning point in the history of the Minari people and they can begin to rebuild. And our last news story for the day, an update on the state of things between the Confederacy and the Centauri Dominion. The threat of galactic war still looms high, both supergovernments heavily mobilizing fleets and troop movements into defensive positions, pointing weapons of mass destruction at one another, setting up defensive structures to negate or minimize damage from said weapons of mass destruction, you know how it goes. The Confederacy has also updated their advice from earlier. Previously, they advised all civilian and commercial travelers in bordering regions to stay at least 122 parsecs away from the border, and have now increased that to 200 parsecs. Once again, for all our less attentive listeners, please be advised that the Confederacy recommends all civilian and commercial vessels and systems bordering the Centauri Dominion to remain at least 200 parsecs away from the border. The conflict appears to be heating up as reports have come in from the Hamao system that there have been a few minor skirmishes. A few news agencies have gone as far as to state that the Great War has just begun, but I think we should hold on from making such an announcement just yet. These skirmishes have been rather insignificant in scope, mostly just shooting down ships that come a little too close for comfort. Neither side really wants to move first, so really they're both just testing the waters right now. For any listeners that inhabit any neighboring regions, stay safe out there. Now it's time for a word from our sponsors. Traveling through space can be amazing. You can't beat the view just about anywhere you go, whether it's in orbit over Mars, cruising past Saturn on your way to the nearest stargate, or just out in the middle of nowhere gazing at all the stars around you. It's the new frontier, full of adventure, wonder, and mystery. But like the frontier of old, it's also full of hardships. Let me paint you a picture and you tell me if it sounds like the situation you're in right now. You're flying through space in your second-hand cruiser ship, hell, not even second-hand really, honestly it's closer to fifth or sixth hand, century old if you're embellishing a little, had to retrofit every nook and cranny of the damn rust bucket just to get it to function at this point. Your alcuberried drive just doesn't function like it used to. Ardor efficiency plumbing just a little bit more every year. Sensors always on the fritz, and there's that godforsaken clicking noise that you've searched everywhere for and you just can't find where it's coming from. Your ship, for all the aches and pains it gives you, you're also fond of. You've been traversing the stars with her for so long now, it would hurt to let her go. But you know she can't keep trucking on forever, and when she finally does hit the wall, trust me, you don't want to end up stranded. Does that sound like you? No shame in it. Ships are expensive. A mechanical marvel like that doesn't come cheap. I know what you may be thinking. A new ship would be nice, but I can't afford one. Well, that's where you're wrong. 
Silver Aviation has your best interests in mind and wants nothing more than to put you in the seat of a shining new and improved ship. We have over 200 cruiser models to choose from, all of them being sold at affordable prices. Avalon Corvette G7 on sale for 200,000 credits. Oberon GTX, 180 credits. How do we keep our prices so low? Well, I'm afraid that's our little secret, but I assure you there are no hidden costs, no hidden fees. What you see is what you get. Can't front the bill? Trade in your old ship for a brand new one or in-store credit to help cover the cost of a new one. Zero money down with flexible payment options. I assure you there is no other ship dealer out there that will give you this kind of service and prices that we are offering. Don't settle for less. Get what you deserve. Come on down to Silver Aviation. That concludes our advertisements for the day. As always, big thanks to our sponsors who help support Milky Way Radio. So listeners, for today's discussion segment, I thought we could expand upon last episode's topic of space safety. For anyone who may have been considering the space or lifestyle, this episode is for you, as we'll be discussing advice on space travel. If you are terrestrial, spending most of your life on the surface of a planet or moon, there may be some things that you forget to take into account before beginning your journey through the cosmos. One of the most common mistakes that new spacers make is not taking into account their circadian rhythm. What is your circadian rhythm, you ask? To put it simply, it's your body's internal clock that regulates your sleep and wake cycles and influences your body in a variety of ways, such as your hormone regulation, body temperature, eating habits, digestion, and so on. It may be something that you overlook because when you're on your native planet, your circadian rhythm will largely be regulated by the day and night cycles of said planet. However, when you head out into space, there is no such natural process. If you keep the lights on at the same brightness throughout the day, you'll soon find yourself losing track of time, and your sleep patterns will be thrown off because your body will believe that it's always daytime and delay the release of melatonin. It is for this reason that it is recommended that you adjust your ship's light settings to begin to brighten up as you wake up and gradually begin to dim to darkness just before you would normally go to sleep. Also, if you're traveling to a planet with differing day and night patterns, you can get around this by purchasing an exosuit or brain implant and downloading an alternate reality program that simulates your natural day and night cycles. Another consideration to keep in mind is the various dangers that you may encounter through your travels. Piracy may be a thing of the past on most civilized planets, but space is harder to manage. Well-traveled areas of space are generally decently secure areas, such as the capital worlds of the Galactic Confederacy. They are regularly patrolled by military vessels, ensuring that everyone is being civil. However, no matter where you are, space is absolutely huge and very empty. Even in well-traveled areas, there may be time when you are absolutely alone for dozens of parsecs. If you happen to meet another traveler with bad intentions, you're on your own. If you're traveling through open space, it's even worse. Pirates loom on the edges of lonely trade routes and FTL highways, waiting for a lone ship to pass by. Most trade vessels travel with a few security vessels, but even they are faced with attacks from pirates who are cut from a boulder cloth. It is for this reason that it is typically a good idea to travel with a buddy vessel when going on long-distance trips. It is also a good idea to outfit your ship with various defense systems. The very ship I am traveling on right now, in fact, is outfitted with a dual-barrel plasma cannon on the bow and stern, as well as two railguns and a mass accelerator cannon on top. We don't usually run into trouble, but if we do, we'll have enough firepower to keep any malevolent travelers at bay. Pirates aren't the only threat you'll find out in space either. Another threat that you'll hopefully avoid contact with are clouds of antimatter. Like pirates, these are more common out in open space. Most antimatter clouds that once inhabited more traveled areas of space have either been harvested or destroyed. 
In open space, however, they just float around waiting for an unsuspecting vessel. These clouds can be quite large, large as planets even. It is important that when you spot one, you take note of its coordinates and report it to your nearest planetary authority so they can update navigation maps and help other travelers steer clear. Avoiding these clouds is important as coming into contact with any amount of antimatter, no matter how small, will release a violent explosion that can severely damage or even completely destroy your ship. Since antimatter serves as fuel for space travel, many foolish travelers attempt to harvest some as they pass by. However, I cannot recommend enough that you leave the antimatter harvesting to the professionals. The reward is low and the risk is high, and one wrong move could result in complete annihilation. Even more dangerous than ordinary antimatter clouds are what many people refer to as sentient clouds of antimatter. Whether or not they are truly sentient, it is unknown. There are little studies available on such entities as they are much more rare than their ordinary counterparts. These clouds are typically smaller than ordinary antimatter clouds, though they can still get quite large. They seem to behave intelligently from limited observations made on them. They move on their own accord, not just floating around bound by Newtonian laws of motion. It has been observed that they will float near larger clouds and periodically siphon some off. In the absence of these clouds, however, they may approach unsuspecting vessels. The currently accepted theory is that the reason that they approach traveling vessels is their supply of antimatter. However, in order to acquire said antimatter, it first has to get through your ship, it attempts to encapsulate you, and boom, you're both obliterated. In the event that your ship comes under threat, it is recommended to eject a spare case of ship fuel. If successful, you will have enticed the strange entity, and it will leave you be. Otherwise, you better hightail it out of there. Well, listeners, I'm afraid that is all the time that we have for today, but just before we go, it is once again time for our fun fact of the day. Within the observable universe, there are an estimated 2 trillion galaxies. I wonder if any of them also have their own traveling radio show hosts. As always, listeners, it has been a pleasure. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>